Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of the Green Talk podcast, a podcast aiming at making complex climate-related issues understandable for all, provided to you by Vite. Long time no here, am I right? We took a little break at Vite, hope you didn't mind. Now we are back on tracks at full speed with a new company name, Vite. We'll start releasing episodes every two weeks on Thursdays, as usual. I'm still Leo Robert, Green Power Analyst at Vite. If you listen to the first five episodes, you know where I'm from, the country we call the Strike Champion. Vite is an Oslo-based company and the leading market intelligence provider for guarantees of origin and carbon market analytics, both compliance and voluntary. If you want to know more, visit our website, vite.com. Do not hesitate to rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We really hope you enjoy listening. It is a question of our own survival. Make our planet great again. We want crystal clean water. We want to be able to say that we, we did the actions that were, were right, the actions that, that were important. So how can we successfully navigate our way into this future world? So we're here today with Julien Cosset. He has more than 15 years of experience in the energy sector and in consulting. He is now the chief strategy officer at Nordpool AS in Norway. Nordpool is the leading provider um, power market in Europe with three decades of power market experience, operating in markets like the Nordic and Baltic regions, Germany, Poland, France, of course, the Netherlands, Belgium, Austria, Luxembourg, and also the United Kingdom. That's a lot. Today, uh, more than 360 companies from 20 countries trade on Nordpool uh, markets. Julien, uh, to start, um, as an introduction, could you please give me and the listeners some input into what your focus is at Nordpool and the services you offer. And could you please tell us a bit more about, from the power market perspective, what the solution to the, the energy crisis is? Sure. So thanks a lot. for First of all, thanks a lot for inviting me for, to this podcast. It's a real pleasure to, to have this discussion with you, Leo, today. Um, basically, as you as you mentioned earlier, uh, Nordpool has uh, three decades of experience in providing a secure, efficient, and liquid markets to uh, to Europe. Actually, we started 30 years ago in Norway, and we we have expanded to uh, Scandinavia, um, Baltics, uh, the UK, and also continental Europe. And basically, we provide secure platform for uh, trading companies to be able to buy and sell power uh, on the so-called day ahead market. So it's uh, an auction happening every single day and uh, for the delivery of the electricity on the on the following day. And we also do provide an intraday market, uh, which uh, is actually growing because of renewables and uh, that uh, that provide uh, the opportunity for market participants to actually balance their positions close to real time. And on top, of course, we provide uh, clearing services and also data services, which is very important for the transparency of this market. And uh, finally, we also uh, provide um, some courses through our academy business and also some services uh, through our uh, consulting business as well. And, you know, when it comes to the current energy prices, I think uh, it's fair to say that uh, Europe has been through a tremendous stress test because of the war declared by uh, Russia against uh, Ukraine. And actually, as a consequence of that, we, we experience a huge gas shortage in Europe. And as a consequence, uh, then because of this gas shortage, electricity prices have been uh, record high. And uh, this situation of island volatile prices has been uh, mainly driven by this uh, supply uh, um, shock of gas, but also by other factors than uh, low reservoir levels in the Nordics, for example, but also uh, 
low availability of some dispatchable generation, I think of especially nuclear, uh, with a conjunction of uh, decommissioning of Belgium and German reactors, but also low availability of the French, French fleet because of corrosion issues. So basically this crisis has revealed serious flaws in member state energy policies and also some utilities industrial strategies. But the thing is that this winter has not been as catastrophic as expected. So we have been saved somehow by mild weather. Luckily. Exactly. And also by renewables. And I think this is fair to, uh, to say that somehow renewables uh, participated to saving uh, Europe from this crisis. Yeah, and in this, uh, in, in this life, we, uh, if I keep on going with renewables... Uh, how do you think uh, Nord Pool trading activities and strategy and the, the overall selling in, in setting, sorry, framework in which Nord Pool is operating at the moment has been for 30 years, have been evolving over the past few years and specifically over the past two, even to one year, right? With this crisis that you clearly described in the light of increasing demand and generation for renewable energy and the energy transition in Europe as a whole, both at the EU level, but also at national uh, uh, member states level. Yes, what we experience is that if you, if you make the cocktail between energy crisis and increasing renewables on the network, then it's a cocktail for price volatility, basically. And, uh, and uh, this is something we need to adapt because it's a shift in, in the paradigm that we, that we have in Europe today. Um, let me go through three examples. The first thing is price volatility. When you, when you have, uh, you can have two different episodes, right? You can have episodes of high uh, renewable production with low demand. And of course, because of the way uh, price is set in Europe currently, you, can, you could end up in having very low uh, prices on the, on, on the network and uh, even it, it can go to negative prices actually. Uh, of course, inversely, when, you, we, when renewables are not enough or, or are not producing enough actually to, um, to meet the, the demand, the local demand, then you need some fossil fuels uh, to actually provide the last megawatt hours uh, to meet the consumption. And of course, if those fossil fuels are actually uh, expensive, and if you put on top uh, an expensive carbon price, then of course you end up in very high prices. So, so having those two examples, uh, you know, and uh, it, it creates actually a, a lot of volatility. And of course, all that also depends on the consumption level, which has also its own variation logic. Whereas it's uh, you, we we are in a winter or summer or uh, depending on on the on the time of the day. As well. So, and you do have some strikes in particular countries yeah, exactly. which uh, can lead people to stay home yeah. and therefore uh, consume a bit more electricity. Yes, that's exactly the case. Exactly. So, uh, so price volatility is actually one of the drivers. Um, the second example is on, on the way um, uh, market participants, and especially the producers, are acting on the markets. You know, as I said, we, we operate two, two different segments. So the day rate trading, which happens the day before for the delivery the next day, and also our intraday trading. What we see with renewables and with uh, the ability of uh, having, uh, let's say, better and better um, uh, weather forecast uh, during the day is that we see an increasing trading volumes uh, close to the delivery, close to real time. And actually, if you look at the annual growth rate of our day ahead market, which is a traditional market, 
these growth rates range between 5 and 30% depending on geographies. For intraday, it's between 30 and 200% depending on geographies. So this is driven mainly, it's mainly driven by renewables taking an increasing part of the price formation and also being actively trading on our platform. So, uh, so that's also uh, the consequence of those renewables being more competitive and being more available to the network. Um, and another, uh, I think another aspect of renewables and, and what they bring to the market as well is technology and algorithmic trading, uh, which is also, of course, a consequence for, of that. Uh, uh, renewables tend to be small decentralized assets, so, uh, so you need uh, robots and you need sophisticated alg algorithms to actually forecast Uh, and then aggregate all those capacity and, and, uh, and bring them to the market. And currently on our intraday market, algorithmic trading is making probably more than 80% of the transactions. So this is also technology. Technology is also driving uh, the energy transition and, and, and renewables. And of course, all that is... Uh, Is, uh, um, is actually making, made uh, more um, complex also with a massive amount of data that needs to be used, uh, the so-called SCADA data to understand the performance of the asset, but also weather forecast and also some other fundamentals data that are needed to trade on the intraday market. So basically, volatility, uh, intraday market is, is super important and also technology and big data are driving the change. Yeah, thanks a lot for the very complete answer. It's um, really enlightening. Um, if if we if we keep it there on on renewables and what to what to expect for the market in the future, what 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 are your expectations at Nordpool given just what you what you've mentioned in terms of volatility, renewables intraday markets? For example, do you expect that renewables will take an even larger share in the price formation in the years to come? Will we be able to develop new technologies to Uh, approach as accurately as possible the uh, current generation that can be can be done at uh, an asset level, very small asset levels all across Europe. Uh, What are your, your expectations for this? Yes, I, I think renewables are, are playing a, a huge uh, role in, in actually making uh, uh, first uh, the participate to the market, uh, not only to wholesale market, but more and more also to, to some uh, local markets or TSO markets. And what we can expect for the future is that they will take over la a large chunk of, of, the, of the volumes. Uh, but still, I mean, uh, until we get to a point where renewables or, let's say, carbon-free generation is actually, uh, uh, you know, enough to supply 100% of the demand, we will still have somewhere in the mix some fossil fuels. And considering that those are the ones creating the, uh, the marginal price of electricity, that will be actually a, a kind of a bumpy road. And I, what we can expect going forward is the energy transition. You know, it's not something that you declare. It's not something that you, that for, for which you have a plan or for which you have a, a top-down uh, long-term plan. So it's going to be a bumpy road. And this bumpy road uh, is, is, uh, is requiring us to adapt to uh, many changes uh, from a st technology standpoint, from a regulatory st standpoint. And uh, yeah. Yeah, speaking of bumps, I, I'd like to, uh, to mention the, the French best enemy, let's say, in, in the whole history, uh, Great Britain. Uh, We saw that, uh, of course, the um, the UK went out of uh, uh, of, the, of the EU, and, and Brexit is now effective. Uh, I'd like you to 
to briefly mention what are what what role do you expect Brexit to have on the European power market? What role did it already have? Currently, is having and will probably have also on 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 future market developments. And and how is Norpool uh, preparing for this change? Actually, we Norpool has a long history with the UK, and especially we launched uh, the N2EX auction in 2010. So it's been a while that we are in the UK. And actually, we've been uh, one of the instruments to actually integrate the UK to the pan-European market because this is actually part of our DNA to to make a, a European integration of of, uh, of 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 the electricity markets. And of course, for us, Brexit meant uh, quite a, a revolution, I would say, because before before Brexit, uh, uh, the UK were totally uh, integrated to the European market. I mean, cross-border capacities between the UK and the continent were actually fully coordinated and allocated together. Uh, for example, the direct prices of electricity in the UK were calculated together and at the same time as in Europe, uh, between 12 and 13 CT every day. And of course, the Brexit agreement between the UK and EU did not allow it anymore. So now we are back to a point where... Um, You know, we we prepared very carefully this Brexit with our clients in the UK, and, uh, and I think it was not a great success because it's always difficult to find the, the second best alternative. But actually, we actually built with them the possible uh, the best possible alternative. So now we operate a, a single auction in the UK, which happened in the morning after the allocation of capacities in the in the morning. And actually, more than 75% of the market is actually using our auction to uh, to actually trade. And our, our local price reference are actually used in many retail and wholesale contracts. So, um, so it's, a, it's a kind of a revolution. And, and, of, uh, and of course, uh, it's not a very satisfactory situation, but we, we do the best that we can do with our market participants and the rules, which are you know, dictated by uh, regulators and, 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 and policymakers to make the best uh, of the situation with our market participants. Um, going forward, what we can see is the UK are actually two several paths and, and, and over, the pa over, the, over the next years, I think the UK will have to choose between two paths. One is to, to, to go on with a, a huge market reform of their market and, and actually be, uh, go further away from the European market design. And this is part of the discussion uh, around the so-called RIMA discussion, so the, um, uh, the, the, the discussion around the, the, the market reform in the UK. Or another path is actually to enforce measures to, to try to come back to a more, let's say, pre-Brexit situation and try to, uh, to, 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 to have UK back in the game somehow with the Europe, other European countries. So we'll see what's next. But so far, uh, we try to, to, to make the best and, and, and try to do our job uh, as, as, uh, as, as, as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, no, and speaking of policymakers, uh, the European Commission uh, released yesterday the proposed revision of the power market. Very, We've waited quite some time, even though, as we discussed before, <laughs> before we started recording, there were some leaks, uh, leaked documents that you know, kind of gave us some insights about what was going to happen. Um, three main points that I sum that will summarize just right now about this uh, proposed revision of the power market. First is the obligation for suppliers to hedge part of their volumes. This was rejected by most market participants during the consultation held by the, the European Commission. Second point is contract for difference. 
for new renewable slash nuclear projects and for technological upgrades of existing plants. And the third main element is creation of regional trading hubs. These are, of course, the main points, and you know we, we won't go into into detail. It would require a whole a whole podcast episode on this, which we'll probably do. And this to be enforced. Luckily, if we are you know if we have the chance before uh, the elections, uh, European elections in May twenty four, if I'm not mistaken. So mm. within a year. Um, what's your take? Uh, what's your take, generally speaking, on uh, on this? Uh, on this uh, on this proposed uh, revision of the power market at uh, at North Pool. Of course, uh, as you mentioned, this is a, a topic we take very seriously and uh, we have uh, people inside the company uh, taking care of uh, following the regulation and ensuring that uh, we actually do not break uh, 20 or 30 years of European integration. Uh, because of a severe energy crisis. Um, I think it's fair to acknowledge that uh, the European Commission, uh, you know, said that in, in the paper that, you know, spot markets more or less do the job um, because uh, we allocate capacity and cross-border capacity, so the, the cables. Uh, the, the markets ensure that uh, um, we are able to uh, fulfill the demand at the least cost. Um, I, I, I think the major issue uh, right now is, is, is how to ensure uh, on one side that we have enough incentive to um, build more carbon-free electricity uh, capacities in Europe. So uh, it, cover, it, it covers uh, you know, uh, um, nuclear and it covers also renewables. And on the other hand is, is uh, how to... Um, Uh, to protect consumers on, uh, against uh, volatility or against uh, very high prices. And um, I, I think the focus of, of, of this proposal is really to, to, to ensure uh, that we have a better um, uh, forward markets functioning in the, um, in the, in the European uh, electricity market. And you have many ways actually to uh, to edge uh, and, and to, uh, to to protect against volatility. You have the traditional forward markets, so the derivatives. Um, they have been there for years, and I think that they they have a, 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 a huge role to play. Uh, you have also the CFDs, which is somehow a, a, a way to protect um, uh, consumers and producers around uh, against volatility, but which is uh, a cost which is socialized, so which is mainly paid by the, uh, the society. And, and uh, then, we can, when then we can discuss if it's fair or not. And you also have the PPAs, uh, which are growing in Europe as well. The power purchase power agreements. Power purchase agreement, which are direct contract between producers and consumers, uh, norm, which could you know, last f between three years and 20 or even 30 years. And I think that all the um, all these tools to actually manage price volatility are actually welcomed in in the in the mix and or in the yeah in the mix of solutions. Uh, so now it's it's a it's a matter of making them available, uh, making them uh, uh, you know appealing enough to the market, so so uh, so so then consumers and producers can make their own choice and find their way and the the best. Um, possible um, uh, the best possible solution for their own needs so so it's I, I think it's about that and it's it's probably more about providing those tools and, and ensuring that they are uh, available 
rather than dictating or imposing one or the other. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's, that's very clear, and uh, we look forward to uh, to seeing uh, what are the the next developments of this uh, proposed regulation, how it uh, how it evolves um, with the you know in internal and external lobbying at the European com Commission level, and how it moves towards the the Parliament as well in uh, in Brussels. Uh, I'd like to move on to a a, a topic that made um, quite the headlines as well this uh, this past week's uh, carbon uh, carbon pricing. We've seen that the the EU has reached uh, reached 100 euros a couple of a uh, couple of days slash two two weeks uh, around ago, and I'd like to ask you how how has the, this recent increase in carbon pricing uh, affected the Euro European carbon market and perhaps link it to the European electricity market, of course, and how is Nord Pool uh, adapting to this to this to these changes, right? Sure. I mean, uh, we are not directly impacted by carbon markets because we, we do operate electricity markets and not carbon markets. But wh what we see is that, of course, carbon is a, an integral part of uh, cost for um, uh, fossil fuel um, power generation capacities. And of course, it is uh, one of the drivers of electricity prices. And actually for two reasons. Of course, on one hand, uh, carbon price is part of the drivers of electricity prices uh, because power generation, uh, uh, power generators uh, with uh, fossil fuels uh, plants, they need to purchase their quotas, their EU ETS quotas in, in order to, uh, to, uh, to produce. So it has, of course, uh, an effect on, 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 the, uh, on the electricity prices because generally speaking, the marginal uh, power plants is... Uh, maybe um, a, a fossil fuel power plant. So, so, so that, that has a direct impact on the marginal cost. On the other hand, also depending on the carbon prices and also on coal and gas prices, you can have uh, a switch uh, between uh, coal power plants and gas power plants in the merit order. Uh, and, and of course, it depends on the relative prices of coal, gas, and, and carbon. And, uh, and, and this, this can have a direct impact on the level of carbon emissions from the electricity sector is, for example, um, coal power plants are coming before uh, gas power plants in the merit order. So this is something, uh, this switch is actually some, uh, some um, uh, consequences of the, uh, of the current uh, carbon prices. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, yeah, putting a price on carbon, uh, of course, motivates business to stop holding. This is uh, not to be demonstrated in, uh, anymore. However, carbon markets are, are yet to achieve their, their goal in, in reducing uh, GHD emissions, green ga greenhouse gases. Uh, in your view, Julien, what needs to, to change to make, to make carbon markets uh, more efficient? Are, are the carbon prices too low to, to motivate this change, uh, not only for electricity producers, and, but as a, as a whole? Uh, I, I think that, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, carbon was still uh, too low, right? Carbon price was, was still too low. And, and uh, people dreamt about having a, a carbon at 100 euros per ton. Uh, when I say people, it's policymakers, because at the end of the day, having a high price on carbon should actually push the most polluting power plants from the merit order. I mean, this is what we want to do, is to push those plants from the merit order so they are not economical, uh, economically, uh, uh, you know, uh, that it's not sustainable for them to, uh, to operate anymore. And, um, but the reality is that we still need fossil fuels. So, so at the end of the day, this, this price is actually uh, uh, 
ending up to the consumers. And I think that on one hand, the economics are working because we do have a price of carbon. It creates incentives to um, uh, to to um, uh, to run uh, the least uh, polluting uh, um, power plants. Uh, at the end of the day, it also steers investment into carbon-free electricity. Uh, so the, the economics are working, but the ma major issue for me, and that's, that's a bit of a drawback, is the social acceptability of high energy prices and especially high carbon intensive energy. Uh, and because consumers are paying for this, and uh, of course the money they pay uh, is going directly to the non-polluting um, producers. Uh, and actually, we should find mechanisms for, for them to invest in uh, low-carbon technology or carbon-neutral technology, uh, production assets. Uh, but we should also find a way to to bring some of this, this money to the most vulnerable consumers, uh, the poorest, the businesses exposed to international competition, and so on and so forth. So there is a, a whole economy of uh, to, to create to ensure that the carbon pricing is also benefiting to, uh, uh, to somehow protecting... Yeah, climate redistribution in, uh, in a sense uh, fully in line with you here. Um, um, I'd like to, if we keep on uh, with, with with prices, but we move to um, an industry that is pretty much very often in the spotlight, which is the oil industry, right? And we've seen that the oil prices uh, have sunk to uh, to pre-war levels, uh, to pre-Russian invasion in Ukraine levels, let's say. And where do you believe the oil demand and and prices, uh, generally speaking, are going? And maybe you can link this to to gas that. You know very well at uh, North Pole. Yes, ex exactly. Because uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really an oil expert, <laughs> <laughs> and, and this, is, this goes probably beyond my, uh, my my expertise. But what I can witness, being part of uh, of this uh, this industry, I mean the the overall energy industry, that somehow oil. Uh, was probably less discussed than gas during the price the crisis and uh, what we have learned is that gas is probably more of an issue than oil itself and for many reasons i mean just because of uh, uh, of one reason is that gas is used in for several usage uh, and it's probably more versatile than oil in, in the in the in the way it can be used for power generation for heating purpose even for transport so um, uh, And something else is that gas has been used uh, by Europe as a bridge fuel, because at some point you need some kind of dispatchable and, and storable uh, energy to ensure that you can deploy um, uh, low carbon generation. And uh, and actually, in, uh, it's also fair to say that uh, gas is less polluting than, than, than oil and, ga uh, oil and um, coal. Uh, and to push oil and coal from the merit order, somehow gas has a, has a, has a role to play. But of course, uh, what was predicted uh, at the time for the, the so-called golden age of gas, and people, I mean, governments relied on uh, a, a partner, Russia, which is no longer a partner. So, so this, this is also why gas is also so important. Uh, is that because we lack Uh, gas and because um, Europe needs to diversify with other sources of LNG especially so so I, my, my, my uh, personal take on this is that 
gas has probably overtaken oil in, in, the, in the way that it is now the major driver of uh, or the leading energy commodity and the major driver of the industry today. So, um, uh, and it's fair to say, you know, that when you stop or when gas flows from the Russia were stopped, this was a huge shock for, for Europe. When Russian oil and diesel flows were stopped, actually it was a bit of an issue, but it was not as big as. You wouldn't hear much about it. In no, the, no, uh, and, it, and it was in February. You know, it was one month ago. Hmm. No, that's uh, yeah, super interesting. Uh, we're we're coming to the end of this uh, of this episode. Uh, time's moving quite fast, uh, and I'd like to ask you a couple of last questions on a more on a forward-looking basis. Let's say what to expect, right? So. Um, for example, what do you believe is important for for companies uh, to do when navigating this uh, volatile electricity market? That uh, for, for this one, you're an expert, right? And uh, not on the old one, but on the electricity one, I can uh, I can tell, of course. And also, how can the EU electricity market become more resilient against price volatility? Yeah, it, it's a fair question to ask because at the end of the day. Uh, is going to be a bumpy road. We know that uh, prices will be volatile for the next couple of years. I mean, uh, if you if you discuss with uh, gas experts, they will tell you that uh, you know this situation will probably uh, be the same for the next three years because uh, you cannot have uh, additional gas capacities uh, producing LNG for Europe just overnight. So, 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 so I think the question to, to ask is who should bear the risk of uh, price volatility? I mean, should this be um, energy suppliers, uh, retailers, final consumers, the, the society as a whole? Then and who? I, who do you think? Exactly. But my, my point is that it, it depends uh, and actually depends on the consumer. You, you, you may be a consumer in love with volatility. I mean, if you are able as a consumer to change the pattern of your uh, consumption, then you can take an advantage and actually, uh, uh, um, you know, consume where the prices are low. But if you can't move, then of course you you, you are more risk adverse to, to volatility and then you will enter into some kind of PPAs or some kind of long-term agreement. So so I think both should be open. And this is what uh, this is what what was a bit my purpose on, on, on the discussion around um, the, uh, the, the, the market design, the European market design. I mean we should we should provide the tools and then consumers should make the choice. And uh, they should be able to make the choice if they want to be exposed to volatility or not. Hmm. Yeah, I see. Um, yeah, if we, if we, last question on the on, on price volatility. This is um, probably the question that uh, every listener is 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 burning in in asking you. Uh, energy prices. Will they go down in 23? <laughs> I know it's. Uh, I'm. I'm always asked this question by uh, by reporters when it comes to guarantees of origin uh, markets. That that is the, the the only niche market that I know of it. Uh, but but for you as as a whole, electricity prices, energy prices. What can we expect in 2023? Even though we're already we're recording this on the 16, uh, 15th of March 23. So it's already 
almost a, a quarter of the year mm. that has passed. What trends will shape the year ahead? Mm. Yeah, f f first of all, of course, we do not provide price forecast at North Pool. <laughs> and, and, and second, I do not have a crystal ball with me. But uh, what I can tell you is that there are like three or four key drivers to mm -hmm. be looked at. And, and the first one is electricity demand because high, high volatility and high prices, I mean, The consequence of this situation is that some of the demand has been destructed. We, we talked about destruction of demand. And of course, we need to wait a little bit before being able to say what part of uh, lower consumption is actually due to weather or due to like some, uh, uh, some temporary um, uh, measures. And what is really uh, demand destruction? I mean, long-term demand destruction. Some industrial may have closed, right? Closed the shop because of of uh, of, uh, of of high, high prices. So the electricity demand first is, is, is will be kind of the, uh, one of the key drivers, and then of course is gas fundamentals. Mm. And gas fundamentals, it means that. Uh, first of all, we need in Europe more regasification capacities. So you have seen that there is one LNG terminal, uh, uh, regasification terminal in Finland. Two uh, started operation in Germany. There are two others coming before the end of the year. So it's, it's actually to replace Russian gas. There is even one coming to um, to Le Havre, in, uh, close to Paris in mm -hmm. France, you know, mm -hmm. uh, before the end of the year as well. And of course, you need those infrastructure, but we, you also need the LNG uh, with it. So, uh, And then Europe is in competition with Asia on, on the global market. So, so uh, I, I think that we should also look at what's happening there in the demand because Japan, is actually restarting nuclear power plants. Maybe this will have a, an impact on the overall demand for LNG. Um, China's new policies on COVID, I mean, if, if, uh, if China is restarting uh, its industry, of course, it, it will have an, a huge impact on, on their appetite for LNG. So it's a global market. And actually, uh, Europe will have to compete with, uh, with the other part of the world. And of course, there is the, on the electric fundamentals, there is a sell side. So both the ability to ensure more electricity production and especially from the existing asset, but also from the new ones. The existing asset, of course, is uh, 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 there is uncertainty around nuclear as well. Uh, what will be the political decisions of countries to uh, continue or not with nuclear, or actually to, um, uh, to close or extend the existing plants? Uh, what will be the, what will be the, uh, uh, the issues uh, or potential issues of uh, the nuclear fleet in France as well? So that's for the existing renewables, uh, sorry, the existing nuclear. <laughs> and of course, the, Good lapses. The, exactly. <laughs> and, and of course, the, the ability to, to deploy more renewables and, and, and faster. And, and, and this is also one of the key issues here is that we need to deploy more renewables in order to meet the demands. And uh, that, that should be one of the key uh, objectives of uh, European member states at the moment. I'm really glad you ended up this uh, this podcast with such a sentence, uh, pledging for renewable uh, developments. Thank you so much. Merci beaucoup, Julien uh, Merci. Cossé from North Pole. Thank you. Uh, listeners, if you haven't done it already, make sure to subscribe to The Green Talk on whichever platform you're listening it to. Uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, give us a rating. Uh, and should you have any questions, remarks, suggestions of topics and guests, write me at greentalk at vite.com. Yes, vite and not green fact, because we've just rebranded our company and it's called Vite, V-E-Y-T, uh, to know in Norwegian. Uh, you can also follow Vite then and not uh, Green Fact on LinkedIn if you want more insights about energy certificate markets and of course follow Nordpool as well on its website and LinkedIn. See you in two weeks. Ciao.